Secrets from a coach. Thrive and maximize your potential in the evolving workplace. Your weekly podcast with Debbie Green of Wishfish and Laura Thompson-Staveley of Phenomenal Training. Ahoy there, Law. Ahoy there, Debs. How are you doing? Who was oh, that, by the way, that just squished across the screen? Who was that? That, that is my support animal, my giant <laughs> stuffed fox. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> that if uh, the hybrid working world is getting a little bit too much and my extrovert needs aren't being met, then I have a little chat with my furry fox. <laughs> And does it give you what you need, Law? That's it the thing. does. Oh, it that's does. all right then. Now, I just wanted to check, fellow shipmate, that uh, mm. we are, um, I'm rowing clearly in an easterly direction. Are you? I thought we were going south. Right. Well, this is where the rub can happen. Because as we are discovering in our current four-part mini-series focusing on It's All About the Team where we uh, discussed in our previous episode around keeping conversations, especially when they're team ones, above that drama line. It's so easy to slip into conflict, particularly Mm. if energy is low and passions are running high. And the focus we're going to have on this week's episode is all about good teamship. How do we maximise pace, minimise politics? And if we were to take that lovely visual metaphor of we're all there, shipmates on out on the ocean. Um, it's all very well me there thinking that I'm rowing as well as I can do. But if actually it turns out I'm slowing us down <laughs> with my every action, <laughs> then um, as a team, we might not be as effective as, as we could be. It's such an important topic, Law. So I think if we back up, where does that word come from, first of all? Because we use it a lot, right, team shit. But where did it first come from? Yeah, we do. And it actually it gets people thinking. So So Clive Woodward, who was a rugby coach for um, many years. So this was a word that has kind of been pinned onto him. And we've, um, yeah, we've really kind of played around with this, uh, particularly in the last couple of years, because you can have as charismatic leader as, uh, as anyone could give you. But if you've got a thousand people who are refusing to work with each other, who are prioritising their individual needs over whatever that collective team goal is, then you've got a problem. You can be as charismatic, you can be as engaging as you could be. But if the team are not in an environment where they are wanting to work with each other, you've got a problem. But of course, leadership is what sells the books because it's very sexy and appealing. And, you know, we all can be a leader, etc. Whereas there's not an awful lot of control you've got over thousands of people, particularly, you know, for uh, people that might be part or have been part of big old corporations. So um, this idea of teamship, which is how do you create an environment that just sets itself up for the team to be able to thrive? And Sir Clive Woodward had some really um, great successes out on the pitch as a result of his real focus on teamship. So I, I can share some of those with you in a moment. But what's your take, Debs, not only as a coach for individuals, but as a team coach as well? What's your take on just how important this idea is, um, not only in this year, but in the decade ahead? I think it's um, I think it's really important. I think there's always been a level of office politics Anyway, wherever you go, I don't think I've ever come across an organisation or a team that haven't had a level of it. I think it's the le- the 
depth, if you like, of how deep does that run in regards to setting up the culture, setting it up for success or not. And I've had people say, well, I'm a small startup. I want to have no office politics. And they go about their business and they start to um, think about how they're going to be. They start working together and there's still some office politics going on. Somebody's not happy with what somebody's done or how they've done it. And therefore, it's the bit that they've missed, which is around setting the foundation of what's going on for them um, or what's not going on for them. So when we think about how we can start to set the expectations or the employee expectations is really important. Um, you know, especially if there's a perception of favoritism going on is not going to be helpful in that organisation. So how we communicate, what we do, how we set the tone, I think is really important. But also how do we role model that and we don't let things slide? I think that doesn't help. Um, and, you know, we've seen it and I'm working with a team um, on a three-day event um, in you know this week and it's going to be really important to see how they are. I've already done some individual conversations with people just to get a sense check and a bit of a temperature check as to where, you know, where they are. And there's definitely some friction is the best way I could describe it. And when you explore that a little bit more with them and ask them some questions about what does that mean, how do they want to be, all of that, it comes back to the fact that there's lack of direction. So like we said, you're heading east, I'm heading south, right? Um, yet we haven't come to meet in the middle to just realign and make sure we are on track and we are heading in the right you know, direction and we're steering it together because there's just been an assumption that it's just happening and the friction it can cause is huge and if no one's catching it, as I say, or picking up on it or challenging it, I think that then starts to shape that it's okay to do that around here. So that's the foundation is being set right from the off. So whether you are, say, a new startup and you haven't set the expectation well, um, or you're an established organisation that has some ground rules already, supposedly, um, but actually they're not being fed all the way through and people aren't living the values, if you like, of the organisation well, that's when people get permission to, you know, do the office politics, play the game, as we always call it, uh, regardless now of whether we're actually in the office or we're globally or we're remote or we're hybrid or wherever we are, we can still play the game. Um, and it's quite unhealthy at times. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's uh, it's interesting thinking about the word politics. So, you know, is is the sweet spot just the absence of politics? But actually, politics comes from the um, Latin word um, polis for city. So, as soon as you have a group of people, they say that politics happens the moment person number three walks in the room. You know, oh, there really? has wow. to be some <laughs> ordering and some kind of organisation as to how you manage all of that stuff. So it's not necessarily that politics are bad, but it's if there are bad politics happening, which means that, you know, bad ideas are getting through or, you know, the the the, the voice that does actually have a grasp on what is required isn't getting listened to or not having the space. So I think it can be quite... Um, just quite interesting to have a think about your own team meetings, for example. So, you know, how they're running and is it the same people that are always leading those meetings or is there, you know, like a, a shared arena? But um, it's it's been quite interesting just, just reading up about Sir Clive Woodward's approach, you know, what we could take that now. And I mean, that's about 20 years old and in a completely yeah, different be, industry. Yeah, it must be, mustn't it? 
yeah, yeah. From, from one that many of us are, are working on, working in. But there are a couple of things that I think could be quite useful now, particularly, as you said, if the way and where we're working has changed a bit. So really, a lot of this boils down to discipline. So the discipline of are we ready and equipped and ready to go for what we're about to do? And one of the rules that he'd set in, which everyone adhered to, was we arrive 10 minutes early in the place that we're going to be for the meeting we're about to have. And no no mobile phones. So mobile phones are okay in the changing room, but on the place of where we do our work, whether that's discussing team tactics or whatever they may be, then we are here to be fully present. And I wonder how many team meetings are happening right this moment, Debs, where half the people are engaged, half the people aren't, and, you know, just sort of not being fully present and then that meeting kind of dragging. And, of course, that's then where bad politics can then take a hold because people are just a bit apathetic or they're not involved enough to then be able to sort of positively challenge stuff. Yeah, it's a good point, Law. And the other story that really stuck out for me was that there was um, a story that was shared where just his fierce loyalty to the team. So it wasn't about the team propelling him to look great as a leader. He dipped into his own pocket to upgrade the players on uh, one of their team trips that they did to uh, get them into a hotel where they're going to be able to sleep better. And he, he paid for that because he was as much had skin in the game as the team did for the team to be able to do well on the pitch. So I thought that was a great little lesson, whether for anyone here is a formal leader or an informal leader, but it's what can we do to enable the team to set up for success? Because if the team aren't set up, then you've got one person (laughs) trying to lead. But the definition of a leader is you've got followers, which is the team. Yeah, that's, my God, that's really important. But then I suppose that comes back to, you've got to care enough about your team, right? To want to be able to provide them with the best environment possible, to be able to give them the support that they need, to be able to recognise what each individual motivation could be. Um, and it's about all about recognising people as individuals, right? Yes, they all work collectively as one team, but you can't manage them or lead them all the same way, right? So you have to have um, an ability to recognise who they are, what they bring, what they're great at, what their role is, and acknowledge that. I think, you know, it's, it's all well and good saying, I've got a team under me. I'm not going to micromanage them, um, but I'm actually going to be not there all the time either. I'll just let them get on with it. That's being an absent manager, right? That's not healthy for anybody. So when we think about, when we say, I'll let my team lead the way, I'll let my team make um, decisions on their own, I'll give them the autonomy that they want. Do you know that for sure? Because that's like hands-off management, right? You're absent. You're just letting the people go in any direction. And that when something goes wrong, you're the first one to probably jump up and down to go, why haven't we done this? Or why haven't you done this? This wasn't right. And you and you probably look at that manager or leader and go, but we had no direction from you. We didn't know which way we should be heading. So as we always say, Law, isn't it? In the absence of any information or in the absence of clarity, we just make it up. Um and it might not be right. So I think a lot of it does come back to the, you know, the leadership. What are you seeing being role modelled? Um, I was just on a call with somebody actually who was not in a great place because of the office politics that are going on. Um, but they were actually 
not being role modelled in the right way either. So people around them thought that the way that they were being managed was acceptable to then manage them as an individual. And the friction it caused and the upset it caused that individual has been massive. It's had a huge impact on their whole well-being and mental health to the point where they were thinking, do I stay or do I go now? Um, Because they just felt like they didn't matter to the team. And that's the going above and the beyond, right? It's not about you as the leader. You can't be a great leader if you haven't got a great team. But what you need to be able to do, I think, is set the right foundation for that team to be successful. Oh, I completely agree. It's, it's interesting you talk about um, just that communication aspect. And I know we're picking it up at next week's um, episode where we'll be focusing all about communication lines being open because it's such a hot topic, particularly if you're working in different ways now. But interestingly, back to Sir Clive. So he described um, people's kind of uh, attitudes to acquiring new knowledge as either being sponges so open and ready to learn and absorb, or like rocks, which is a know-it-all, you can't teach me anything else, I know what I'm doing. And he would much rather have a um, a kind of a, a set of sponges who might not be top of their game from a physical talent point of view, but they've got the sponge mentality, rather than people that were top of their game talent-wise, but had a rock mentality, because that doesn't, that could potentially get get in the way, um, you know, of, of your kind of your future, future growth. So uh, linking this back to our ship analogy, I guess, Debs, it's about promoting that net mindset, which Ooh, is we're just going like to cast our <laughs> net out as a team, individual players and, you know, just see what's out there and then think about how we can bring that back to the team rather than being an anchor. I have to watch my, uh, watch my uh, <laughs> rhyming slogan. Won't I? So rather than being an anchor, which is without realising holding down that pace of want, you know, of everyone else maybe wanting to go full, full steam ahead. So if sometimes, as uh, my dad said, if you can't spot the anchor in the room... <laughs> Guess Maybe what? it's me. <laughs> so as so many of these things, good teamship, of course, starts off with self-awareness. So, uh, but, you know, we, we pick that up by, by, by that culture that is around us as well. So in a minute, Debs, maybe uh, give us a bit of a rundown. So, you know, we may be fortunate enough to be involved to help teams go through some big waves of change, creating an environment of teamship. And you've got three days. So that's a big journey that you can take people on on three days. You might be listening in and you might just have a couple of hours that you've set aside just to get the team really feeling full full steam ahead for the future. So, Debs, in a moment, take us through. If you had a couple of hours and you were part of a team and you wanted to encourage some conversation that helps get some better teamship where we minimise politics, we maximise pace, um, take us through what some of your top tips would be. Good question, Law. I think focusing in and deciding on how we're going to be in the in that moment in that room so setting the basic rules for what's acceptable um you know having a zero tolerance policy for you know bad behavior or you know things that we we're not being um what's the word i'm looking for that we're not being consciously involving others so you know i'm just going through the motions i've as long as i'm okay with my agenda um i don't really care about anybody else so making sure that you know we provide the right environment that creates that culture of openness and support. Um, and I suppose that collaboration comes into it again, you know, being willing to listen to other people's ideas. So I think it's a bit around how are we going to be in this conversation or in this meeting um, and setting up that 
working agreement that enables people to be really clear on what is expected of us in this moment in time. And to be able to, I suppose, make sure that we are not being like looking after our own biases, really. We're not being dragged into conversations and uh, agreeing with somebody because they've got a similar idea to us. We're actually looking at the people that have different ideas to us because that creates an even better conversation. Because, you know, if, if I think I'm the one that's always right and I know everything, really, um, that's like, yeah, I'm being that anchor, if you like, in the moment. So it's thinking about how can we get everybody to speak So that comes down to those first minutes, if you like, at the opening of that meeting or conversation or half day, team day or whatever it might be that says, how are we going to be as we go through the next two hours, three hours, three days so that we get the best out of it? So we're focusing on what's real. We're not focusing on hearsay, assumptions, judgment, um, things that we have no control over. We're actually basing it in reality. So And that's why we always question when people say they, they have said, who are they? You know, be be more, the more specific you are, the better you can have a good conversation around it. So mine is always that call to action would definitely be, I know we're jumping ahead to our call to action already, but I think it starts there. Set the working agreement. How are we going to be in this conversation right here, right now. I, th- I think you're absolutely spot on. Another thing that I've uh, I've um, saw you do a couple of years ago, and I just love it because it's such a powerful question, is as a team, what do we want to be famous for? So as a team, what do we want to be famous for? And it is such a empowering way as a, either a newly formed team or a team that is a little bit tired and a bit fatigued and they've been rowing for years together, trying <laughs> to hold it all together. And yeah. what do we want to be famous for? And it's a, it's a great way of bringing out your team values, really. So what do we want to be known for? Are we the team that whinge and moan and hold everything back and are constantly you know, berating other teams for having things that we haven't got or are we the team that crack on and do what we can to look out for each other, to be able to look after what we need to be looking after? What do we want to be famous for? Because your actions are being perceived by other teams, (laughs) wanted or not. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) definitely. And I think that comes to respect as well, though, Law. I think that has to come from, you have to come into it from a respectful position of, you know, I respect myself and I also respect you as well. And actually, it comes back to the self-awareness, as you said. But actually, if you're going in as that bit that says, you know, I'm going to encourage those respectful behaviours not just for myself but of others as well then we do hold the team safe and secure uh, and not leave them out to hang over (laughs) and walk the plank if you like all on their own because that's not a good place to be either you know you reminded me of um, a blast on the past from the the huge world of social psychology which of course is always so interesting when you apply it into a world of work because it's a human laboratory isn't it (laughs) some of the places that we all would have worked in and uh, you know bringing out the very best and the very worst in sort of human nature but there's uh, the concept of groupthink I think is always quite an interesting one so just when you were saying earlier on about you know the benefits of having a working contract or a working environment is it just limits the risk of a group of people um, individually might be very intelligent but collectively might not make intelligent decisions because they've been um, 
uh, uh, subject to groupthink. So groupthink is where a decision then is arrived at by a group of people that's not necessarily the best one that individually they each might not have signed up for, but just collectively something happens and we might get very swayed by a, a, an influential member in a room or we can't be bothered to sort of challenge. But that idea of sometimes the more people there are involved, the less intelligent those decisions are. And the original piece of research that came from was um, Ash's perception test, a perception test. So if you imagine the scene, you had a group of people who were there and all but one had been paid to be there to be part of the uh, of this research. And the uh, the researcher is there wearing their white coat. So there's already this kind of inbuilt, oh, I'm in a formal place. So the one person who doesn't realise they're the only one person who doesn't know, basically everyone is then asked to say, which one of these lines that I show you are the longest, A, B or C? So the first one, quite kind of uh, every day and everyone then can see that, you know, the second one is the longest one. And then our person who's who doesn't know that they're part of something just kind of feels comfortable because they've asked, answered the same as everyone else. And basically, as the session goes on, um, increasingly more and more people are saying the wrong answer. So you see this individual deciding, uh, am I the only one that's seeing this? And you see the look on his face when he just caves to the pressure the silent pressure of, I want to conform because it feels, I don't know the rest of these people and 11 other people are saying that it's C. I can clearly see that it's A, but I don't feel safe enough here to be the one person that stands out. So I'm just going to acquiesce and comply with what the group is saying. And then you have groupthink, which is individually people might have a chat after going, I'm not sure that idea is going to work. But in the room, the politics, it's created this pressure where I feel like I need to say yes or no or go along with what the crowd says. Yeah, that's such a good thing to have in your mind as well, isn't it? But it does happen. And we've seen that happen. And unless you're skilled at picking up the the signs of that and you're sitting there going, as you said, did that really just happen? Has, Has everybody just agreed yet? The conversation we had leading up to it was nobody agrees with what this person's about to say. So it takes some courage sometimes. And and that's the bravery to step in and call it as, as is happening. But you might not have the confidence to do that. I know, you know, somebody I've been coaching for a couple of weeks now about building their confidence to feel like they can speak up rather than just go along with the flow because it's easier. Um, because otherwise the fallout from, you know, their boss is going to be huge. And the, the politics, as they said, it, it just creates is just not worth their time. And actually they're so passionate about what they're doing that they just can't, cope with it anymore, that they are going to stand up, if you like, and speak out. And so we've been working on their confidence to be able to have um, a, an, a way of leaning into that conversation. And part of it was that checking in at the very beginning. Yeah. How, and we do that in coaching. Yeah. How is everybody arriving today? You know, what are you thinking? How are you feeling right now? And by doing that, it changed the dynamic and the uh, of the room, she said, when she did it. And the difference it made just by just tweaking something really you know, minute as that made the massive difference because then people felt more safe, comfortable to challenge that and other person's thinking and speak out and speak up and say, I don't think that's necessarily going to help us. You know, let's explore some other options. So language plays a huge part in that. Um, but she wouldn't have been able to have done that had she not set the working agreement, the work environment at the very beginning. So I think if you're going to do it, that's the crux of everything, because you've got then some facts that you can come back to if 
it starts to go off track and people are just being you know, rogue or just not speaking or just gone quiet. So I think that for me is so important that you've got then factual something to come back to if it's going a bit you know, off course. Oh, I love it, Devs. Do you know, I wish I'd known some of these things at the start of my career. I, th- I think I could have added so much more value in the early years. And I think that I could have had far less internal angst, you know, and I just think these things, I just think that's the wonders of education, isn't it? Once you've got a bit of an idea about actually how a meeting starts can transform the politics or the undercurrents that are, are there then, you know, as a meeting progresses. And uh, just little things like groupthink, just because all of the senior people around you are saying, we should do this. You might be the only person in that room that actually has some end user feedback or an awareness of what the client or the patient or the customer or the internal colleague might be might be feeling. Your 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 thoughts are valid. It's how you place that. And then of course that's language, isn't it? Because if I'm from the back of the ship, Debs, shouting at you for, you know, going in a southerly direction, then um, actually I'm not creating a great teamship. If I'm respectfully acknowledging, aha, you're going south. I'm going east. (laughs) How should we work this out? (laughs) Otherwise, we're just going to keep going around in circles. And then that means you can then, with respect, you know, then kind of help move things on. So, Debs, in the spirit of we can talk a good game and we can nod along and chat along with things, but nothing happens unless we start to take some action. So Mm -hmm. um, what would be your, your call to action for this week's? episode? I think my call to action would be just create the working environment. How are we going to work together today in this meeting? Or how are we going to work together today to get the best out of it to achieve what we want? And how are we going to be um, in the room so that we can create a safe space for people? So that working agreement is so important. Beautiful. And my share of the secret would be if you feel like there are some things that are maybe getting lost in power play a little bit, um, get someone to listen to this and discuss about how we can positively play with some of that power. So what does that then mean to shift and move things on? And uh, it can create some healthy conversation all in the pursuit of how do we as a team help move things on? Because people haven't got the energy to be going round and round in circles. It's much easier if you feel like you're in the same boat, <laughs> rowing in the same direction. <laughs> yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely. And also, I think it also makes sure that if people are reviewing your glass door reviews, they're good reviews, not negative ones. So I keep that in mind as well. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, my God. I mean, the thought that all of our actions that we're being viewed underneath a glass bottom boat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's not a good look, is it, Laura? No, that's not a good look, no. <laughs> no, maybe not. <laughs> we got a crab in the lower deck. No, anyway, um, so, uh, Debs, And on another note, a, then, Laura. On another note, have a wonderful, minimal political, maximal pace of a week, and uh, I can't wait to pick up the heady world of, particularly in hybrid matrix working, um, how to keep communication lines open, all in our focus, our four-part mini-series on it's all about the team. So, uh, Debs, have a fab week. You too, Law, and I'll see you next week. Ah, Love love you. you. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at secretsfromacoach at aol.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you're a Spotify listener, give us a rating as it makes it easier for us to share the secret with others. 